Yo, and welcome in to week five of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, and the Big Terp back here with you yet again. And we are starting to really get an idea of what is what in the SEC. Christopher Paul Doring. Are we getting that? I think we got a little taste of it. This is yeah, the truth. It's our this, first idea. No, th this week, week five, is the lie detector. I think it really gives us an idea of who's who. You're right, though. We did step into that a little bit more last week. But I still think there's – I have curiosities about Georgia. I have curiosities about Kentucky. I have curiosities well, – the, the two teams that have schedules that are 110 and like 130 <laughs> as far as strength of schedule in the country. So, yes, I can understand your question marks with those two teams. Yeah, what, what was it uh, on the other end of the spectrum? Who was it? Was it South Carolina, I think, was had the second toughest schedule in the entire country to this point in the year? I think to this point that is factual. I think they've had the second – toughest and i had all of that pulled up when you start to look at it i mean in south carolina feels like they've played that kind of schedule and this is like the seventh year in a row that i feel like south carolina's played this kind of schedule am i wrong there no i think you're you're right about south carolina arkansas also seems to be one that plays one of the toughest uh, most difficult schedules this, in this the year for them they're 47th to this point so south carolina two ole miss nine bama 17 LSU 24, Auburn 38, AM 42, Arkansas 47, followed by Mississippi State at 48, and then your Florida Gators at 52. And then that's where the drop off really begins. Mizzou at 85, Tennessee at 86, Vandy at 96, and then we fall to Georgia at 110. Like I mentioned, I was, I apologize, Kentucky. I said 130, I meant 132 as far as strength of schedule to this point in the SEC. Yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's going to be, I, I, you tell me about this. I like watching games as uh, our team stepped into conference play. I felt really good about a lot of what we saw. I, I saw some very competitive games, saw some great quarterback play, but I'm wondering, did it look good because we're no longer being exposed by, you know, out of conference opponents that have you know largely dominated the SEC to this yeah. point, or, or are we getting better? It's a great question to ask because we've talked about what the ACC did to the SEC and what, what a Big 12 team did to the SEC. Now, a soon-to-be SEC team, but still a Big 12 team. I, I don't know. I don't think we know that yet. I think we'll find out. I think you have some SEC teams that are getting better, but I think you're looking at maybe the middle portion, the back end of the SEC to continue to try to get there because we're trying to figure out how many true championship contenders the SEC has. Like, I still don't know the answer to that, CD. Yeah, like SEC champion or national championship contenders? Um, national. SEC championship contenders, does it feel like three already? Are we down uh, to three right now currently? I was going to say probably three. I mean, I don't think many people give anybody in the East outside of Georgia a chance. And then in the West, especially with some of the news, uh, you know, the Connor Wigman news, and we can get into that as we, we start pre-gaming. Uh, but I don't know whether or not that changes my opinion of, where they are this week or where they are for the rest of the yeah. year, to be honest with you. Yeah, as well as he was playing, and he was playing well outside of the Auburn game in which he got hurt, you have a quarterback that is a veteran veteran. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you got Max Johnson, who has been there before, been to the fire of the SEC, had some success, had highs, had lows, but I would say more highs than lows, and so that is a luxury for Texas A&M to have somebody like that to fall back on. What's he? I think he has 12 starts as an SEC quarterback, I believe. I mean, it might be 14 at most. 14? Maybe yeah, it's somewhere. 14, but I mean, it's a, it's a full season. And when he didn't start, he still rotated a bunch. Let's go back in the way back machine with TJ Finley. 
right, when he was at LSU. So even if it wasn't a air quotes start, he still went out there and played, you know, a bulk yeah. of the game at times. Yeah. So unfortunately, I mean, when I start talking, uh, start thinking about Max Johnson, I start thinking about shoe toss games and uh, Florida, oh, what Letna, happened there? Letting a uh, what a a twenty one and a half point favorite uh, or letting a twenty one and a half point underdog come in and beat you. That's that's not great. Yeah, that's if you're keeping track at home. I don't know who he's talking about. It Scoring could be it could be an LSU Florida situation. So. You know, I'll have to do some research. Well, I'll have to see if, like, that sounds like a game that would end in, like, a 50-plus yard field goal in the fog where you couldn't even see the uprights. I think that's appropriate given the fact, uh, for those that <laughs> maybe haven't seen the preview of what our, our uh, rundown is today, it'll be heavy on the uh, LSU side of things with uh, Kaylee yeah. Hartung joining us, which uh, I think everyone now knows, now that she's not on the sidelines, knows yeah. where her allegiance lies. Yeah, we've already had, we've had Ben Shelton. We've had a Florida episode, so we were due. We were due an LSU guest and Kaylee Hartong of Amazon's Thursday Night Football will join us a little bit later on. And the Today in the show. show, don't don't leave the Today Show out. That's a great little resume uh, for sure, for sure. You know, but I'm just trying to speak to the football fan, fan first, and then you know we come to the news portion of it second. See, I mean, I was getting there. I was getting there. Maybe you know, we jump the gun. The crossover is between pre-gaming the SEC consumers and Today Show consumers. I'm not <laughs> saying it's a little. I'm just genuinely curious what you think. I, I, uh, I'm strong to quite strong. Untapped market that we're not getting into yet. So hopefully with okay. Kaylee's help, we can try to there get a little bit more. We're having Hoda on next week. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, don't tempt us with a good time. You got to get that hey, done now. Those Victor. girls aren't afraid to drink on air. I mean, that's right up our pre-gaming alley. Dude, so. yeah, we would just switch it up go. from a little Kurz Light to some Chardonnay. We'd have a good time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, we can all be versatile here. Speaking of drinking, it is time to pass out the beers. Or, you know, again, this can be a good hold my beer. This can be a bad hold my beer. This can be a number of different things. I have to, uh, you know, typically gone with the positive hold my beers cd a little bit more negativity in his life i don't know what's going on we'll see where he goes this week but i will say i am saying hold my beer to great quarterback performances we've had across the country we had one in baton rouge louisiana last weekend hold my beer kj jefferson and Jaden daniels they put on a show and it was a battle I was in the number. I was in Tiger Stadium, and it was the back and forth. It was who's going to have the ball last. It was you make a play, I make a play. Oh, I made a play, you're probably going to make one now. And it was so good to see it play out. And you saw them both give everything they possibly had to go out there and be victorious for their team. And we said it. KJ had to have that type of performance if Arkansas wanted to pull off the upset. And he did, and they fell just short because Jaden Daniels answered every question he was asked as well. That was a literal hold my beer because they were going back and forth in the same game, and that's kind of the same dynamic that I'm going to go with. There was a great quarterback battle that took place in Columbia, South Carolina, but it's the receivers that I'm actually going to focus on right now. It's the battle between Xavier Leggett and Tulu Griffin. Back and forth, they big plays. I mean, these two guys average – 37 and 36 yards per catch. It was a an absolute uh, impressive performance by those two wide receivers. Yeah, they did go back and forth. And where would South Carolina be without him? I mean, Juice Wells, right, goes down. You're looking for a playmaker. And Leggett stepped up, and he has been a huge addition to their offensive game plan. And Spencer Rattler, 
by the way, for all the shots that he's taken because his offensive line's not playing well, he's still delivering the football at a very elite level. Let me ask you a question. Uh, basically, a month into the season, if you had to give the MVP to somebody uh, at this point in the season, who, who would you give it to? Oh, that's a great question. I think I think some of the candidates are Jaden Daniels, Jackson Dart, Spencer Rattler. Like that's kind of where my head's initially going. And I know that they haven't been perfect, but when you look at how well Spencer Rattler's playing behind the offensive line that he's playing behind and also losing your top targets and still playing at that level and looking like the ultimate teammate still, right? That was a knock on him early in his career. Like what kind of teammate is he? I haven't seen anything. He's had plenty of opportunities, CD, to be mad, to start pointing fingers. I haven't seen that. If it's happened inside that building, we haven't heard about that. So I think that's a pretty, pretty, you know, special year that he's having right now. Yeah, literally, I, I the two people I were going to name was one that uh, uh, Big Turf just put in the in the chat. Certainly, I, I'm with you on on Spencer Rattler, what he's done. I think I think being the MVP means you know you're you're helping your team elevate way more than probably they would without you. And I think you, some of those other guys you named, um, I think some of the surrounding pieces may be better. They may be more of a complete team. Uh, what, what you talked about with Spencer Rattler is, is spot on and and having to do it behind an offensive line that early in the season uh, made you feel like it was going to be a long year. But uh, they've improved. The run game actually improved. And, and Spencer Rattler has been the catalyst for basically all of it. The other guy, yeah. you, you can make the argument that the two best or most important players in the league to this point reside in Columbia, right? Two different Columbias. One, Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> the other, Columbia, Missouri, as Luther Burden yeah. has blossomed into kind of what we thought he might be last year when he was one yeah. of the most heralded recruits coming out of high school. Oh, he's been fantastic. Over 500 yards receiving this year. And, like, if we're talking receiver, like, it is – I mean, Burden's right there. Malik Neighbors is right there. Brian Thomas has been there. We've talked about Leggett from South Carolina. Now I know that the offense has looked incredibly behind the times, but look at Griffin and what he's done at Mississippi State. So there's been some really hey, good receiver play so far in the league. I'm glad you mentioned that because this past weekend, week four, nine different receivers went over the century mark. I mean, it's a uh, yeah. a pretty impressive that, – that, that was kind of the gold standard as a receiver, like – when you get 100 yeah. yards receiving, that's a big day. And to have nine of them go over 100, Tulu Griffin goes over 200, uh, yeah. it, it's it's pretty impressive what those guys have done. And all season long, you know, they've had some big productions. I I, I want to see the drops go down. I think there's been more drops in this conference than maybe I'd like to see. But yeah. um, in terms of putting up impressive numbers, the uh, the SEC's had some some big ones so far this year. You look at a couple of teammates there at LSU. We mentioned them, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. That has been quite the duo. They both go over the century mark. And last time that was done at LSU, of course, was 2019 with Jets and Jamar Chase. And that is that's an offense. Right now, if I'm not mistaken, as we record, LSU number one scoring offense. I think Old Miss is number two scoring offense. So that will certainly be something when we pregame the SEC, the week five slate that we will get into. But now it is time for last call and when we do a last call it's a quick okay last week let's go back let's look at the slate week number four and we had a great one across college football but here in the sec 
maybe what's one thing you want to give one more hey reminder this happened before we move on to week number five and i'm going back to como for mine i think mm-hmm. what missouri did 34 to 27 over memphis and it's not even necessarily cd what happened in this game it's what happened the week before beating kansas state and how do you handle success we always hear coach saban right Success actually brings more problems than failure. Mm-hmm. And I was worried. I'm like, okay, can they handle success, handle what was at that point the best win in the SEC, face a really good Memphis team, a neutral site game, now kind of your home game, but still a neutral site game, and can they handle the pressure of expectations? Well, they won the game, right? And at times, it wasn't pretty. I understand that. They were down 10 to 7, I believe, after the first quarter, but then they rally off 10 straight. They've got the lead 17 to 10, and they never gave the lead up, right? They finished that game with the lead 34 to 27. I thought Brady Cook was highly efficient yet again. He threw for over 340 yards. He's really starting to come into his own. And I know Eli was not happy with fans booing him. There's been some reports. Some people believe that Eli was, you know, maybe hearing things. Some said, yes, that was true. I don't know what was true, but I know that Eli believes in Brady Cook as his starting quarterback. And I thought them handling that win against K-State and then beating a good Memphis team is a step in the right direction, and it's a growth step for Missouri football. Yeah, I'm with you on all of that. It was a an impressive uh, win for them, even though – you know, it wasn't necessarily a, a high-profile opponent. It was an opportunity for a huge misstep if they came yeah. back and lost after winning against K-State the previous week. For mine, you know, I'm going to go back to last week, and I think what we said here on this podcast, if not now, win for Ole Miss. Yeah. If you're not, if there was ever a time that you were going to be able to take advantage of of beating Alabama, it was now, this position that they were in. And I, I, I just... I think that my biggest takeaway is, is going from watching that video of Coach Saban shuffling to the locker room in the driving rain with his despondent look versus yeah. the smile that he had after he walked away from the handshake with Lane Kiffin on, on Saturday. Um, the, the the Jedi Master reasserted himself, and they did it largely with defensive effort. You know, the, the defensive line, to me, the, the front seven for Alabama – uh, was really the the, the big winner yeah. in this football game. They controlled the line of scrimmage. They were able to get pass rush with just four. They were able to limit the, the run game. Uh, they played coverage and didn't let any of the receivers behind them. Really didn't give up any big explosive pass plays like we're used to seeing. And the fact that, you know, one of the, as you mentioned, one of the top scoring teams in the in the conference only scored 10 points. I mean, it, I you could have, I would have bet anything if you just set that over under at 10 yeah. or, 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 or 10 and a half that um, that they would have scored way more than than what they did. So I think, yeah, I would have put my house out. in the market. The I would have sold my car. I would have gone to CarMax yeah. or whatever that is. And I was sold on my car so I could have the cash in my hand to go to the ticket window and say over 10 and a half for Ole Miss. Absolutely. Put everything I own on that. And they didn't. They only had 10 points. They had opportunities, but they didn't capitalize on those opportunities. And now it's a bigger question uh, question of, of Ole Miss. It's like, okay, man, we have seen y'all have you know wins against Alabama in the past. We've seen y'all beat LSU in the past. But when are you going to go beat Alabama and LSU and then go to Atlanta? Right? We felt like this was the year because Alabama, maybe they're a little down. Maybe LSU is down a little bit to our preseason expectation. And we still have divisions in the SEC. It's only going to get more difficult. You're adding Texas and Oklahoma, and 
There's no divisions. So yeah. the two best teams, regardless, are going to go to the SEC championship game. And Ole Miss fans have to – it's not completely over, but now, I mean, you're talking about a tough road. They've got to be wondering the same question that we're asking. Yeah. No, so congratulations uh, to Alabama. Uh, it's – it's. Um, I, I felt like a, a, a must-have game, you know, to really prevent the, the – the, the crumbling of the dynasty yeah. dynasty. And I know everybody's yeah. been talking about that being over with, but it was a game that they had to have the idea of them going. Oh, and two at Bryant Denny stadium to start the season just was unfathomable. And uh, one, they were able to avoid backs against the wall, had a tall test and they stood as tall as anyone and passed that test. All right, before we get to our very special guest, Kaylee Hartung, I want to remind you about our friends over at blue Delta, blue Delta jeans.com is the website. And I tell you every single week, nothing feels as good as custom fits. Okay. They're going to come in. I actually, I got measured by blue Delta on a radio show. I was doing a live radio show. They said, Hey, we're in town. We want to measure you. I said, okay, well, I got the radio show. They said, doesn't matter. We are going to make it work for you. That's the kind of service you get with blue Delta. Check out their website, check out what they're doing for the Ryder cup team as well. Big things going on over at blue Delta and blue Delta jeans.com. Are you going to, uh, to to Oxford this weekend? Uh that is still in question. That is still uh you know, I saw so I'm going to Texas and Oklahoma, not mm -hmm. this weekend, but next. And you know, you only have so many trips. Sure. You know, when you have Especially the five the, children C D newborn. I know. <laughs> you yeah. only have so many trips and I want to get over there. Uh it's not as quick of a drive as maybe some would think, being Louisiana to Mississippi. So we're tr uh still trying to make that effort to get there. Um, uh, for those LSU fans that are going to Oxford, you can go down there and get that uh, measurement taken care of uh, in person at the uh, Blue yes, Delta store for sure. Yeah, they have a storefront right there in Oxford, Mississippi. Again, BlueDeltaJeans.com. All right, very excited for this week's pre-gaming the SEC guest. It is a good friend of ours on and off the field. That is the great Kaylee Hartung. You probably remember her. From Roaming the Sidelines, SEC Network, ESPN, you go way back, the Longhorn Network. We can say that now because they're a part of the SEC coming up here very shortly. Had stops at CNN, ABC News, now covering the NFL. There for Amazon, Thursday Night Football, Today Show. Like, Kaylee, what do you not do or have you not done yet to this point? Yeah, it just sounds like I can't keep a job. Uh, but no, I feel super lucky that I've I've gotten the incredible experience of working so many fun places and most importantly with so many fun people. So I'm very happy to see y'all's familiar faces. Um, and yeah, gosh, the NFL, you know, it's it's funny growing up in Baton Rouge, like I wasn't the kid who dreamed of of working in college football and letting that be a stepping stone to the NFL. Like Jacob, you know, my heart is in college sports. Like yeah. my passion for LSU, I realize this is like my favorite oldest LSU shirt that I'm, that I'm wearing. Um, I'm pretty sure I have had this since like before even you were on the team, Jacob. But, um, but I was always such a college sports fan and then news was the goal, right? Like mm. getting the opportunity to work at CNN was the only thing that would have taken me away from ESPN because I love that job so much. That was, that was such a dream come true. But I, I had my eye on the bigger goal, which was building a, a broader foundation for myself. So there I went into news. But I'll tell you, when Amazon called with the opportunity to cover the NFL and join the Thursday night crew with Al Michaels and Kirk Street, one of those things that was just too good to pass up. And now it's very cool that I get to balance Thursday night football with the Today Show. Uh, so it's a lot, 
but it's so much fun. And um, I feel really lucky to be doing it all. Bailey, I was excited to jump on with you. I, I love you. I love Hester. And then I come on here and both of you, I got all this LSU gear. Like, did you put that shirt on purposefully? I mean, is this, are you guys collaborating against me? Hey, you wear more oh, LSU than any of us. I got it all. You, you wear more LSU than any of us because of all the bets that you lose, Christopher yeah, Paul Doring. Okay. And, and I'm just happy that Kaylee can now wear LSU. Now that she's in the NFL, she can tell everybody who the best team in the nation to support is. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's my favorite thing to do. I mean, Kirk Herbstreit gives me the hardest time because I just, I bleed purple and gold very publicly now in a way that you're absolutely <laughs> right. I couldn't do when I was covering college football. But I mean, my gosh, when we get on these calls to prep for our Thursday night games, you know, Justin Jefferson a couple of weeks ago, first thing, I'm like, dude, LSU fan, born and raised, thank you. Thank yeah. you for 2019. I was at that Texas game. I saw the breakout been cheering for you ever since but it was actually my first time to get to talk to him which was super cool um but it's 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 my favorite thing on, on a weekly basis of getting to see which tigers we have on these nfl rosters but also you know guys guys from the sec guys from texas guys who i covered in college yeah. right like people ask me often who's my nfl team and i say i don't have one i cheer mm -hmm. for the guys who i know and who i like and whose journey i've gotten to be a part of and witness from a very cool vantage point you know, whether it's Dak Prescott before he ever took a snap as the starting quarterback at Mississippi State or or Derrick Henry, uh, his campaign to win the Heisman that year. Right. Yeah. Those are the guys I cheer for because I've had a, a very cool seat to their growth and their journeys. So are you in Cali right now? I am. All right. So Shockingly you, enough. When you wear LSU gear out <laughs> around L.A., like is there people look at you funny is there a decent amount of tigers out there how's that going? no no there's definitely we definitely have some tiger fans here there's actually a bar in santa monica that's the lsu mm -hmm. game day bar if i'm being totally honest i've never actually been there but i hear it's the place <laughs> i hear it's the place to be uh to watch a game my goal of course every year is to get back to baton rouge for a game i i think i might be coming home for the florida game that's the one i've circled um but in part because, you know, I, I have the cool opportunity of working with Andrew Whitworth on Thursday night. Yeah. And I believe there's a bit of a reunion for his national championship winning team uh, that we're all familiar with for that Florida game. So I think I might might try to make the I'm hoping you're bad luck for that one, Kaylee. Maybe you can actually allow me to be a winner in this bet. <laughs> I've lost five straight to PB. Five straight. <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good luck. You know, I was there in Omaha when the Tigers oh, got it done. Yeah. Uh, I've been there for every national championship LSU football has won in my lifetime. So yeah. I think uh, bode well I'd like for to me. say I'm pretty good luck. Yeah, but, Kaylee, you and I are both good luck when LSU takes on Florida. I've been uh, at a game in which LSU took on Florida as well, CD. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I do know. Oh, have you? Actually, I will own it. There was one. Do you guys remember that LSU-Florida game? Uh, gosh, it must have been 2016 when it got moved because of a hurricane yeah. or something. And it ended up yeah. being like an 11 a.m. kick. We were there. SEC Nation was there. I was working the SEC, you know, prime crew with Brett Musburger and Jesse Palmer. But we shifted with that game's time change. Yeah. And Florida won. Like, I was on. It's the, the worst mistake you can make as a sideline reporter. You know, it's coming down to the end. And, and, and it's a super close game. Like, Ellis, you needed one stop right on the goal line. And I, I make the call in that minute, like, which sideline am I going to be on? And I'm hedging my bets, right? So I can yeah. get to the coach. And I mean, my loyalty has definitely got the best of me there. Cause I, you better believe I was standing on the LSU sideline convinced that they were going to make that stop. And Florida, 
yeah, Florida got it done. And I had to go sprinting across the field to Jim McElwain. And it was oh, daggers, daggers to the heart. So yeah, yeah that's at one time, CD. That's at one that's time. That. It's not, I can't even come back at you guys because we used to beat the hell out of LSU. But like, <laughs> then it would make me look old. Like I'm referencing things that y'all were really young when I was playing. So I don't even want to bring that up. It's okay. It's okay. Well, Kaylee, now I got to ask you about the like LSU team, the program got off to a rough start against against Florida State, but hey, still going out there, beat Mississippi State, beat Arkansas. So it looks like it's heading in the right direction. Uh, you know, I read Scott Rabelais' column uh, just before coming on this podcast because, you know, Scott knows what he's talking about. Shout out to Rabs. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe he said something to the effect of like this team could go 11 and one or it could go eight and four. Um, like this could go a lot of different ways. So, I mean, we saw what happened last season. Same story, losing to Florida State. And then what do you know? LSU wins the the SEC West. Nobody yeah. saw that coming. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the season's young. The season is young. God, that Arkansas team, though, they kept coming back. They kept making it hard. Like, every time you thought, okay, LSU's got this. I don't know. Why is it that there's always so much drama in those LSU-Arkansas matchups? Every time. Like, historically speaking, no matter how good or bad either team is, yeah. it's always dramatic. But, uh, God. I mean, you know, I'm always, I'm always going to root for our Tigers, but I have no idea. If I'm being totally honest, I don't I mean, think the I do either. I have for football knowledge, like, you know, I went into covering the NFL last season for the first time in my career, and it was really scary for me because I didn't have the institutional knowledge of the NFL that I just grew up having, right? right. As a fan, growing up in Baton Rouge, being so close to the program because my mom worked for the Athletic Foundation, like, it, it was. It, it took a couple of couple of deep breaths uh, for me to to wrap my mind around how to get a hold of my own sort of, I guess, confidence in, in covering right. the NFL, feeling like there was so much I didn't know. So now going into season two, I feel like I'm on a completely different level, you know, starting off this season just with so much more knowledge and and the strength of relationships and all of that. But I say all of that to say, like the capacity in my brain for college football information like there's just no there's no space for it I've been watching games and it's funny you know being here in LA um I've watched like more Pac-12 or Pac-2 yeah. whatever well, whatever it is, that it, it deserves been, to like, be watched watch this Caleb year. Williams play video games all night long you know what I mean my gosh it's fun so fun to watch what USC is doing but um yeah and I'm also super confused with all of the the conference realignment and where all of the like television rights deals are right. I mean, you know, as a, a former employee of ESPN, those are still my people. I'm so excited for them to get that SEC package, but like, it, it, I'm I'm confused, right? We could always go to CBS for that 2:30 Central game and know who's yeah. going to be the biggest one. And now it's like CBS is prioritizing the Big Ten because they're moving in that direction, and then ESPN's getting some. You know, last week you had Kirk uh, and Chris calling that that LSU Arkansas game. It, it, so I'm just kind of confused about where yeah. to find it. Um, when I already don't have a ton of awareness um, about what's going on in college football. No, so I'm trying, I, I, to keep, yeah. trying to keep tabs. But am I'm I wrong? You. Like, is that right? Okay. No, I've got okay. like eight screen. Like I got like the, the the quad box on two different TVs because there's so many different channels and so many different TV rights deals that I don't know. Like the Pac-12 network, I, you, you still can't find that one, but everything else you can find it. And I've tried to have it up on, on a screen there. So I'm just like you and like doing off campus, like we cover every conference. And so it's like, you have so much, 
in different conferences that you're trying to remember all the different storylines there. So I actually went and took the boys to the first ever, like I'm a fan LSU game. Like I'm not going to have a media credential. I'm going to have a ticket. I'm going to hand it to the guy. I'm going to walk in for the first time in my life. I did that you last week. You sat in the stands? Like I you just in, said in the stands. In the stands. And I ran into Commissioner Sankey. As I'm going into my seat, he looked at me like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the game. He goes, yeah, but you're like, you're dressed as a fan. I said, because you know I'm, a, I'm a fan yeah. today. I am a fan. And so for the, for the first time ever, it was a great experience. But I also had the savvy vet move of right before LSU kicked the game-winning field goal, I said, boys, we got to go. We got to make a dash. And like, what? We got to watch. I said, no, if we watch this field goal, we're going to sit here for two or three hours in traffic. We've got to sprint to the car. And so we sprinted from Tiger Stadium, Kaylee, down the ramps, around to the car, like in section 406 of, the, of wherever the parking is by the old Alec Box Stadium. And we got there home in 10 minutes. I felt so good about myself. Home. That is a minutes. pro move right there. Oh my God. You know the worst traffic I have ever experienced trying to get out of Tiger Stadium? The Garth Brooks concert last year. Left early on that That's one. Cool. Well, nope. Trisha Yearwood, I love you. But as soon as you came on, I knew it was getting close. Sprinted to the car. Uh-uh. Wasn't going to miss a second of that, <laughs> but we paid the price. Oh, my gosh. It was yes. brutal. It was okay. Brutal. I, I love the fact that you grew up in Baton Rouge, lifelong Tiger fan. I grew up in Gainesville, lifelong Gator fan. Loved the the Gators, but loved all the you know, the other SEC teams that would come through and the players that I watched. And and I remember, you know, Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker and all those guys. Like, if you think back to your childhood as a as a young LSU fan, who was your favorite LSU player as a little girl? And do you remember any of those games? Like, who's the team? I feel like LSU and Florida are similar. There's a lot of rivals that, that those two schools have. Who was the team you hated the most as a kid? Oh, the team I hated the most as a kid. You know, it, it's funny. Here we are talking about LSU Ole Miss, right? I feel like historically speaking in my lifetime, in a lot of reasons, because of social reasons and, mm -hmm. and kids, you know, going to Ole Miss and family, like my mom and my stepdad are both from Mississippi. So there was just, there was so much overlap, I feel like in social and family circles mm -hmm. with Ole Miss fans that that one always was so contentious, right? Like beat the hell out of Ole Miss. Like mm -hmm. you're yelling that as a kid too young to be yelling that. Um, I feel like that's the right. It really is. I think the rivalry that, that has been the, you know, the one that gets people fired up in a certain way, even if it's not always the most competitive game, it's sort of the game that people, you know, everybody that, you know, is going to be at that game. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the most fun party of the season, whether yeah. it's in Baton Rouge or Oxford, but that game always means something special. I mean, for me, you know, it's been, it's been fun the way that it's worked out for, for me in terms of my fandom, like my four years of high school, right? It was that team that then won the national championship my freshman year of college in 2003, right? And then my four years of, we go my four years of college to then the 2007 national championship team. So I kind of got to move in interesting ways in certain chapters of my life with those teams. So like Andrew Whitworth was a guy who I just adored and got to know mm -hmm. when I was in high school and he was in college. And now, like I said, so fun that we get to work together. I mean, if I'm being honest, Jacob Hester might have been the player I had the biggest crush on, aside from uh, Matt Mock. They're up there one and two. Um, <laughs> but again, I knew these guys, right? Like, that was what was very cool for me in a way that I had access because of my closeness to the program. Again, thanks to my mom working for the Athletic Foundation and other friends of mine whose parents worked for the university. 
that I was just around it, which I think is a big part of the reason why I ended up covering sports because it felt yeah. accessible. It felt so comfortable mm-hmm. for me to be around it. So many people ask me, Oh, were you a, were you an athlete? What sport did you play? I'm like, no, <laughs> that was never, never <laughs> in the cards for me. I'm just a fan, just a fan. But I think getting to grow up around a, a school where I got to witness greatness in every big sport throughout the course of my young life, like Shaq was the first athlete I knew existed, right? As they're playing like late 80s, early 90s, right? And then there was LSU baseball um, in the 90s. They won five national championships. Like thanks to my high school boyfriend who played baseball um, at U High, I could name the starting lineup for the Tigers. Like what was it? Uh, uh, Terrio Creffy, Hop, Fontenot. Like, I mean, I I can still like, it's still like in my head, right? (laughs) From, From when those guys were absolutely killing it in Omaha. So, and then of course there was, there was LSU football. So it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's not, not just football, right? It was basketball and and baseball too. And now my gosh, who doesn't love being an LSU women's basketball fan? All hail Kim Mulkey. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I sat there and had a conversation with Kim for like 30 minutes the other day. And it was like her trying to leave the conversation. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I got a chance. Yeah, I got you. And I, I was, you know, this, I was in the sports administration building and the coaches are still everything outside of football and baseball are still in that, in that building. And I'm going over there to do a podcast and I see her. I'm like, Nope, I'm getting a chance to sit here and talk with you. You can keep creeping towards that elevator. It doesn't matter. I'm going to sit here doesn't and pick matter. your brain. <laughs> because she it is fascinating. Cool. When I went to um, Omaha for that game three this summer, um, I got to spend some time with her and, you know, I covered Kramer's team, yeah. her son, Kramer Robertson's team, when they went to Omaha and couldn't get it done. And it was so heartbreaking. And I, I love Flo- that team so much. To Florida. To Florida. Oh, Florida. look at but you. Who nice beat? job. But you got did, one. But who did they beat this year? <laughs> um, but really, but Kevin O'Sullivan is one of my favorite baseball coaches out there. So it was like, you know, one at one and one, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we each got one in the past couple of years. But um, but it was really cool to get to spend time with Kim and gosh, I mean, her passion is so genuine and we had an absolute blast watching that game together. Now, it's really cool to drive around town and you've been back home. Like when you see like the NIL billboards, there's more billboards for women's basketball, for softball, for some of these other sports. It's not just football in Baton Rouge. And they've done a really nice job of really spreading the wealth because look in the NIL space, a lot of people only care about football. But here at LSU, it's been great to see all the different sports represented. Well, I mean, not to mention what Angel Reese and Livy Dunn were just on the cover of Time magazine. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. This is this is a big deal. Uh, this is a big moment, I think, in LSU athletics history for the just the the, the and I don't want to say just publicity, but but the success uh, on a lot of levels that we're having in women's sports yeah. in a way that I'm you know I'm I'm super proud of them for. So I, I, I last we spoke, we were in Destin for spring meetings. I think I had about mm-hmm. 15 vodka sodas before. So it's a little unclear as to whether or not. I Wait, how did I? Story. I didn't. I missed you at spring meetings because you. I, I was, got there late. I was I was ah. closing down the week. So nobody told me when they asked me very kindly to come host the awards banquet that I believe it was Thursday yeah. I didn't realize that like everybody was already going to be gone that I was so excited <laughs> to go down there and see all my old friends in the SEC and then I get there and it was like I'm catching people at the tail end as they're mm-hmm. like walking out to the airport but the funniest thing about that is I walk into the Hilton right we've all been there I'm sure mm-hmm. plenty of people who listen to this and have been to the the Hilton in Sandestin right and the first person I see is a guy named John Bianco who is the sports information director 
for the University of Texas. Yep. And I was like, gosh, this is weird. I was so happy <laughs> to see him, but it was just so out of context. But that immediate, you know, reality check of Texas, this is happening. Texas is coming yeah. to like the state. Them in Oklahoma had their flags with the other schools. <laughs> and that's when it hit me. Like, oh, yeah, this is like a real thing. Mm -hmm. Texas and Oklahoma are coming. And not only are they coming, like they're basically here. Yeah. Wild, wild. So I mean, in the way Texas is playing, bring them. Like, yeah. We're, yeah. we'll take it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Big upgrade from just a couple years ago. But hey, I, sorry I, to cut you off on your 15, whatever no, uh, Red Bull vodka you said I you had. I asked her in that Marcus night about Oda. what she's doing in her her career. Like, I'm, I, I think I respect the hell out of you for a couple reasons. One, you have the versatility to go sports to news and, and yeah. back and forth. But two, like, you're not afraid to do things that would seem scary to somebody else. Take leaps of faith. Even the even being on the Amazon broadcast, like the Thursday night thing, that digital, like nobody, the whole concept of it's probably new to a lot of people. Tell me about the progress to where you are now. What what a week looks like for you and, and why you decided to, to make some of these career changes that you have. I think my parents gave me the gift of being able to dream big and not being afraid of it. So it's wild for me to think that at 10 years old, I told my mom I wanted to host the Today Show one day. And I'm still, I'm, I'm not there quite yet, but to, to be on that show right now is literally a dream come true yeah. that I've had for a very long time. So it, it was always that. It was always having having big goals and knowing that I was very fortunate to get opportunities that I recognize were very special and that, you know, those doors aren't always open. And sometimes when those doors open, even unexpectedly, like when I wasn't emotionally ready to leave ESPN, the door opened to go to CNN and I had to run through it. Even though I wasn't ready, it was kind of eye on the bigger goal. What, what, let's play the long game. Right. And, and when I talk about playing the long game, it's, it's always been about building the strongest foundation that I could so that I can have a very long and successful career where at the end of the day, I'm just trusted to tell any story, no matter the subject matter. So pursuing the, the career in sports to the point that I did at ESPN, which quite honestly, I thought that was it for me in sports. Mm -hmm. I hoped I could tell yeah. some sports stories along the way, but I did not see this, this NFL opportunity with Amazon coming. I'm so grateful for it. And I couldn't have planned it better. I didn't even know how much I would love it, but being back on the sidelines is the right place for me. I love being around the game so much. I, I love showing up for the best days in these guys' lives. I love honoring their accomplishments and honoring the hard work and the discipline and the sacrifice that it takes, as you guys well know, mm -hmm. to play at this high of a level. Um, but I'm also super proud of the fact that I've been able to show up on the worst days of people's lives and honor those stories as well and try to humanize as best I can uh, people's experiences. I mean, the two years I was at CNN were the two most challenging years of my career in the sense that all I did was show up on the worst day of people's lives. It was mass yeah. shootings and natural disasters. And that was it. I don't yeah. think I smiled on TV for two years. So I'm, I'm now at a place where I really feel like, yes, it seems and sounds crazy when you read out my resume um, that I've been so many places, but every step of that has been a really important building block for me. And I've learned so much. And, and the best part of all of it is the people that I've gotten to work with and the people that I've gotten to learn from and, and the people who have pushed me to be better. And now that I'm sort of 
I say finally, you know, in this, in this situation where I'm able to, able to do news and sports, it feels like, uh, like all of that was, was worth it. Right. I think at so many, at so many stages, people asked, Oh, why did you leave sports? Or why did you leave news? Or why, you know, it, it was always a back and forth. Cause actually my first job out of college was in news and then mm-hmm. sports was, ha- yeah. was my route to getting on TV. Cause I, yeah. you know, I actually, it came easy. Um, I knew what I knew what I was talking about in, in, in a sense. So, um, now I'm just, I'm right where I'm supposed to be in a way that feels, feels really cool. But yeah, I think if anything, I'm just sort of a, a, a testament to, to being okay with, with making myself uncomfortable. I think my yeah. confidence has been challenged in a lot of ways over the years that I never expected it to. Um, and I, I feel like I've, I've got it back in a, in, a, in a strong place. And, you know, that's one of those things that I think can be really hard to admit. And I think it's one of those things that when you have a, a job that is in front of the camera in the way that I do, you people might not think that that's something you could struggle with, but it's certainly something I've, I've struggled with as I've made these, these jumps, because every time you go to a new place, there's a new process, yeah. right. Of learning how to, yeah. how to fit into that culture, learning how to do things the way they want things to be done. And so I've absolutely found myself in situations where I'm questioning, you know, am I, am I doing this the way they want it done? And what I'm realizing at this stage in my career is the best thing I can do is be me. I don't yeah. need to try to be anybody else. I, I think I, I've become very comfortable with my strengths and, and, and also my weaknesses and tried to try to improve them. But it's uh yeah, so far it's been a story of just running through the open doors and jump, oh. jumping off the cliff. I was going to ask you about, you said nothing but mass shootings and natural disasters. So I was going to ask you the toughest story that you've covered, but let's stay away from that. Let's be all happy. Your favorite. Well, I can, story. I can tell you, I can tell, I can tell you the toughest story I've ever covered. Cause it, um, I, I know, I know Jacob will remember this. Uh, for me personally, the toughest story I've covered was that, that plane crash that took the life of a young reporter in new Orleans, Carly oh. McCord. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to get emotional talking about it. Um, but you know, the, the, the plane was taken off from Lafayette, Louisiana, right. As, um, right. As LSU was preparing to play in Atlanta for the college football playoff national semifinal. And, you know, remember how I said that the reason you you know, that, that the goal for me was, was the today show. And that I told my mom that I've wanted to do that since I was 10 years old. The reason I told my mom that was because my dad died in a plane crash after taking off from that same airport in Lafayette. He was flying in an air show and his crash happened in front of 13,000 people. Mm. But to get the phone call Mm -hmm. uh, from my bosses at ABC, you need to go to Lafayette, Louisiana. There's been a plane crash. Um, It was the most full circle moment in my life. And, and it was the way that my dad's plane crash was covered in the news that really in- inspired me to want to tell other people's stories, to want to feel like I could do justice to people's experiences that when the worst day of their life is talked about, that they feel like the, the person lost you know, is honored, um, that their experiences are honored in a way that doesn't reduce it to an event. Um, and so that was, that was and is the driving force behind the, the way I tell stories. And so to get that call, it was like, it didn't even feel real. And then to realize the connections I had uh, to several of the people on that plane and several of the families affected, um, to have to call my little brother to try, he, who is a pilot and who flies out of that airport, yeah, not knowing where he was that day or what plane he was flying that day, um, 
God bless the producer from ABC, Jeff, who was with me that day, who um, literally held my hand as, um, you know, he saw me processing all the emotions. And that's, you know, and that's the thing about being a, a reporter. Um, we're all human, right? And I think that my emotion it through that and my sensitivity through covering that story um, helped me do the best job that I could. But it, I mean, you know, like I'm tearing up right now. I mean, yeah. you know, I had to do that. I had, to, I had to fight those tears back on air and I was really, really proud of the way I handled it. But it made me feel like I, um, like if I can handle that, I can, I can handle mm -hmm. any, any situation. So, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, Kaylee. I got, I knew that obviously about your father. I didn't know it was that airport and I knew your brother as well, but I didn't know that he flew out of that airport. So like the, the fact that you covered that story and found a way to hold that back, that's a credit to yeah. you because I mean, I didn't even, I knew the connection to, to Carly and everybody on board, but I didn't know the other connections. And that's um. Uh, that that's quite something to have to hold back on air and not have that emotion come through. Yeah. Well, and you know, and then the second that they said it was a plane, you know, the plane was leaving Lafayette and I said, where was it going? And they said, Atlanta, I immediately knew they were going yeah. to that football game. Whoever right. was on board that plane, I knew I just had this gut feeling that I would have a connection to them. Yeah. You know, we both know yeah. how, how small a world it is that we live in, especially when it comes to, you know, the folks who are going to make that trip to, to travel to support the Tigers for a big game like that. Right. Um, so it was a, yeah, it was just a windfall of, um, of emotions, but yeah, but it, um, it, it tested me in a way that I want, you know, wanted to be tested in a way that I, I was ready. I mean, I'd, I'd worked my whole career to that point to be ready to handle yeah. that challenge. Um, so yeah. You want to talk about a happy story now? Yeah. Give me a happy, give me one good, <laughs> good warm, feeling story that we could leave with please oh yeah please um oh gosh it's so hard you know I get to do so many fun things and you know I didn't as I said just explained in great detail uh the reasons why I got into this job you know I, I didn't get into it to interview celebrities right or that mm -hmm. you know it wasn't about entertainment television mm -hmm. but I'll tell you man those interviews are fun like it's cool to be on the red carpet of the Oscars yeah. right um, I tr really most recently I got to interview the coaches for the new season of the voice. This is just going to sound like an NBC promo because the voice premiered Monday night on NBC. Uh, <laughs> but I got to, I got to sit down with the, with the coaches a, a couple of weeks ago ahead of that premiere. And who doesn't love Reba McIntyre? Who does yeah. not love that woman? I mean, right. she is queen of country music and she's a new coach on the show. And then Gwen Stefani, who was one of the most stunningly beautiful women I have ever seen in my life. Oh my gosh, she stopped me in my tracks. John Legend, who is just as charming as you hope he is. And then Niall Horan, who is, you know, way too young for me, but precious and so <laughs> polite and lovely. It was just one of those fun situations that I, you know, living in L.A., um that I, I get I get thrown yeah. into and when you can just have fun with something like that and and get it get excited for you know a, a project that they're putting a lot of work into to to put on tv it was it was really neat and you know what I'll second that with Katy Perry I got to go behind the scenes just as she launched her Vegas residency a couple of years ago and you know PR people can be like all up in your business during yeah. an interview like that and really trying to keep everything on schedule because they're so yeah. worried about the celebrity right they're mm -hmm. so worried about protecting her and making sure everything goes 
perfectly and her PR people were amazing, but you know, they're kind of like, okay, let's move it along. Let's do this. Let's go here. And Katie's like, I want to take Kaylee over here. Like she was so proud of this show that she had been an integral part of creating. I mean, she'd literally been drawing it on napkins during the pandemic, yeah. right? Trying to create this new spectacle of a show that could only be done in Vegas because you don't have to pack it all up and move it on a whole bunch of trucks. Right. But to see the pride that she had, um, and the, and the willingness she had to spend time with me and show it off was a, a very cool testament to the real artist she is and the creative she is. Um, and I don't know why I would end this with a story about somebody who cheers for Ole Miss. But man, I, guess I was going to bring it up. I was going to wrap it all up with, you know, there was a whole corn dog situation on college game day and it leads right into the, now you got to give her prediction of who's going to win the game. Well, and you know, that was my icebreaker. You know, anytime I'm sitting down for an interview, I try to take a couple of seconds, like especially while they're getting mic'd up, you know, make that person comfortable, yeah. make some kind of connection. So I, I had to start it off with, Katie, I used to work for ESPN and I have to say your college game day show was the best show yeah. uh, that they had in, in my five years there. So yeah. thank you for making great TV. I said, but I'm an LSU fan, so I take issue uh, <laughs> with a lot of what you said, but you made, but you made great TV and she got such a kick out of it. You know, it's like yeah. her manager who went to Ole Miss and that's why she was all in right. on it. But that girl mm -hmm. is just, you know, she's up for a good time. And uh, that interview with her just made me appreciate and respect her so much. So we will get a prediction, but I, I who favorite player on this year's LSU team? Uh, do you do you go more offense or defense? Yeah, Jaden Daniels, the only one I can. Name. That's the only one. No, you know, uh, Perkins, go on. yes, Harold Perkins. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, she. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you could you could name more, but hey, the quarterback, we get it. Look, I have to put up with Matt Flynn all the time. They always get the marquee. They always get the blinking light on the marquee. So Jaden Daniels is like okay I said, field. Jacob Hester was once upon a time my favorite LSU football player. So let me thank just, you. You, know. you said still. I heard still. I heard I still. Said, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard. Historically, I heard still. historically speaking, historically, oh, nothing, Jacob nothing Hester. feels old like that. No, I know. Right, we are old, Jacob. We are. Yeah, old. I know. Uh, yeah. I'll give you seriously though. In my lifetime, Jacob Hester, Andrew Whitworth, Matt Mock, my favorite LSU players. And, and you're again, friends with all of them now, right? Speaks to my speaks to my age. Yes. That's, that's yes, cool. I yes, I am. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, well, Kaylee, we can't thank you enough. I mean, so happy for you, so proud of you as your friend for all the things that you've done and continue to do. So we appreciate you hopping on the perfect guest for this week's pregame in the SEC. Oh, hey, great to see you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Yes. Thank Go Tigers. All right, that was a lot of fun with our good friend Kaylee Hartung. First time we've had an LSU fan on in a very, very long time. So it was overdue and glad we could get Kaylee on the podcast this week. Before we go to the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC with this week five slate, I want to remind you about our friends over at Richards Honda. That's richardshonda.com. And no matter what you're looking for, no matter what your lifestyle calls for, they've got something for you. They've got the van. They've got the truck. They've got the hybrid, sedan, midsize SUV, full-size SUV. Again, whatever your needs are, they're going to be met over at Richard's Honda, home of the warm and fuzzy feeling. All right, it is time to welcome our guy, the big Terp, into the podcast like we do every single week as we pregame the Week 5 slate in the SEC. This one picks up a little bit. We've got some matchups that we're very excited about. Big Terp, where are we going to start? Yeah, I think just to avoid having to pick favorites and make it seem like I'm making my own pecking order, I'm going in straight up time order of how these games are unfolding throughout the day. And we got two yeah. really good noon games. We got the game, and I think we should just start with it. Florida, Kentucky. 
it's not the game if you're an SEC fan, but on this podcast, it's the game. It's Florida, Kentucky. That's where yeah. CD broke onto the scene, baby. Dorian's got a touchdown. 30 um, years ago, Big Turk. 30 years ago this year. Right, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, y'all y'all keep talking. Yeah. Y'all keep talking. I got to get something to show in my office. Hold on. All All right. Right. We're going to keep talking about the touchdown. No, um, that, that was cool, though, that we got to give it a little shine a few weeks ago because, like you said, throughout the years, like that put you on the map. That put yeah. Mick Huber on the map. I didn't realize actually until we were do. I was doing a little research when we were going to do that segment that Danny Werfel came in in that game and stayed in for good. Well, they gone back and forth. Uh, Danny threw three interceptions. Terry Dean threw four. So I, I think you know the ball was kind of up in the air as to who was going to get the chance to to have the last drive, and uh, Danny fortunately got it, and, and we made something out of it. And thankfully, you did not make the unbelievable. Oh wow! Look at that! Look at that! Okay, that is a friend. When I was in college football, when I was playing for the LSU Tigers, there was no team that we disliked more than the Florida Gators. But by God, I've got Doring's got a touchdown firmly displayed in my office. It's autographed right there. You can't see it. It's an orange pen. We're color coordinated here on pregaming the SEC. <laughs> but that's what my good friend Chris Doring means to me. And it came against Kentucky. Yeah. And that game this year is a one-point spread as we sit here on Wednesday night at 6.30 Eastern time. I don't, I don't know if it's going to move in anybody's favor towards Kentucky or even a pick em, but right now at Kroger Field, one-point spread for a noon kick. What are we thinking here? You, you, want, you want the resident Gator to start here? You want to, No, uh, no, no. I, I feel like, uh, you, look, you're going to go – you're going to be long-winded, as you should be, about the Florida Gators. Kroger Field's a tough place to play. I, I covered a game there a couple of years ago. I was blown away. Now, that was a night game. I think it's a different atmosphere. I think actually being, for me personally, being in the SEC, I think a day game always favors the visitor as far as what the stadium could be. It just, it does, right? This isn't the Big Ten. This isn't another conference where they enjoy a noon kickoff. I, I don't think I don't think it favors the visitor. I think it lessens the advantage for the home team. It's still no, 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 no. It's not like I'm not saying like it's an advantage for you, but that is a big advantage in the fact that you don't have don't to have play to. Yeah. at night because all of these stadiums across the SEC, the footprint, they're rocking at nighttime. Like you're going to get a better version of that stadium at night. It's just it is what it is, right? And, and again, there's other conferences where a noon kickoff is a big deal and they yeah. want their prime game at noon. That ain't this conference. Okay. So I think that's a big deal for Florida and the fact that they get a day game there in Lexington and not one at night when you've had a chance to be a little hydrated, if you will. So that's kind of the first thought that I have there, but this game's going to be decided by Devin Leary, right, wrong, or indifferent, good, bad, or the ugly Devin Leary key to the game. Just like I talked about with Arkansas last week and the quarterbacks, and KJ Jefferson and Jaden Daniels is going to be a quarterback game. It's going to be a quarterback game this this year for Kentucky and Florida. Devin Leary, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. He has to play better. They have to protect him better. He's got weapons on the outside. He's got a weapon at running back. He has to use those weapons. If he plays well, Kentucky wins. If he plays bad, doesn't protect the football, Florida wins. And I don't think it's hard for them if he doesn't protect the football. Yeah, I, I think you know, the way that, that you're kind of talking about things is, is kind of the way that we described Tennessee Florida, uh, prior to the Florida-Tennessee yeah. game, where, you know, you, you had the mistakes with some errant throws. You had the drop balls from the Tennessee receivers. You had the missed assignments up front. Just wasn't clicking on all cylinders. And, yeah. and the question that I asked at the time was, do you feel good about your situation because you've, in this case, Kentucky, won all four games, 
average yeah. margin of victory by about 25. Your quarterback's putting up good stats, but yet it doesn't feel like they've really been clicking on all cylinders. Do you feel good about that? Or do you feel bad about it? And that, hey, their schedule hadn't been that difficult when they get into playing real opponents within this conference. Maybe you get exposed if you're not able to, to click a little bit more on all cylinders offensively. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know they're going to need to play a more complete ball game than they've played in the previous four. Two very good defenses atop the, uh, the, the, the categories in the SEC when it comes to rush defense. Um, I think it comes down to a lot of what we, we talked about in that Tennessee game that was a victory for, for Florida was the way they controlled the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Can they run the football against Kentucky? Can they can limit the run? Can they get pressure on Devin Leary? Like I, I feel really good about Austin Armstrong's offense and what he's done this year with those guys. I think they're playing really well as a, a team, as a unit on that side of the ball. And I, I really feel good about Graham Mertz and what he's done to kind of take the the reins of this offense and run with it as a, just a, a manager of the game, making the throws he needs to, get him in and out of the plays they need to, minimizing mistakes. Um, they, they've definitely uh, improved upon what they were last year in that way. Now, the one, the one thing I, I worry about, Hess, does the inefficiency in the red zone come back to hurt them in this game? You know, with Kentucky being yeah. able to score, you got to finish drives with touchdowns and far too many field goals last week getting down into the red zone five times and settling for four field goals. If I said, all right, Chris, you got to name the most important player for Florida that's not Graham Mertz. Let's take away from the quarterback position. Because if you ask me that question about Kentucky, I'd probably go to running back in Ray Davis. I, I think they got to get him going on the ground. You mentioned it earlier when we were on off campus. Great through the air. They need more from him on the ground, and they have to have more in front of him for him to have the ability to do more on the ground. Who's the most important player for Florida if they're victorious? I'd say Trevor Etienne probably. I mean, the uh, the running back for the Gators has been uh, outstanding this year, and a lot of that comes from the offensive line. I mean, they opened up massive holes against McNeese State and then into the Tennessee yeah. game, uh, ran the ball well again against Charlotte last week. So I think Trevor Etienne could probably be that guy. Although I, I was tempted to go with Scooby Williams on the defensive side, number uh, number seventeen has yeah. been outstanding for the Gators so far this year, and and uh, he's a guy you turn the tape on certainly flashes with what he does and his tackling ability, his uh, diagnosing, reading, and and reacting uh, with the way that he he tackles. He's a physical player, so those are two guys I think that kind of stand out to me on each side of the ball for the Gators. All right, I. I... I'm having a hard time picking this one. I think I'm going to lean on the home team right now as we record this on Wednesday. I think I think there's some advantages for them. It's, it's going to be a very, very close game, and I think the quarterback play is going to be crucial. I think Graham Mertz has been better than I thought he was. I guess I'm just waiting for Devin Leary to make the play, and I guess I'm yeah. assuming he's going to make the play. Uh, not to say that it's going to come, though. He's got, he's got to play better if they want to be somebody that – has an opportunity to be that second slotted team behind Georgia. I had them there at media day, just like you did. And we expected a big year from them. They're, they're undefeated. They've yeah. won their games that they're supposed to. It hasn't looked great, as you mentioned. And I think Devin Leary, we're waiting on him to kind of flip that switch. There's nothing that says it has to come or that it will come, but this is his opportunity if he wants to, because if he doesn't, they're going to end up with a loss. You know what's ironic, Hess, is that you know Florida is actually the ranked team here, ranked 22nd going into an undefeated yeah. team's backyard. Kentucky is not uh, ranked. And I guess you're looking at the one thing that maybe you, you, you look at as a positive on your resume, the win over Tennessee, which I think is a little over-inflated because 
they certainly weren't the ninth best team in the country. They they were when they Florida played them. Yeah. But just I don't think at the end of the day they're going to be as good as maybe what people were giving them credit for. So you're talking about a good loss on the road at Utah and a good win at the time over Tennessee. And in the Tennessee game, everything was working well for the first half. Like we haven't really seen Florida put together a full game yet of of production yeah. in both sides of the ball. I'm I'm worried that maybe we're we're taking that one instance and extrapolating it going forward and right. maybe revert to being a little more of the sloppy team that they, they yeah. were when they went out to Salt Lake City. Yeah, both teams certainly with a lot to prove there in Lexington. All right, Big Terp, where are we headed next? AM Arkansas for possibly the final installment of this battle in AT&T at Jerry World. Uh, that's all depending on what the SEC schedule looks like next year. Yeah. But love it or hate it, this game is being played neutral site. What do you think? We we got AM as a six and a half point favorite. You guys mentioned it. it's gonna be Max Johnson. They looked really good offensively in that second half. They're one and oh in conference. Arkansas is oh and one in conference. Yeah. Arkansas is two and two. So if they yeah. lose this game, they have a losing record five games in. AM's looking to go four and one. There's a really big difference between four and one and three and two. If you are AM, if you are Jimbo. Six and a half point yeah. favorite, like I said, for AM. How do you think this one goes? Guys, there, there's a lot of unsettledness in Fayetteville amongst that, yeah. that uh, Arkansas fan base. Like, a lot of complaining about where this team is right now. I, I think yep. a lot of it stems from some of the offensive line issues and Sam Pittman being an offensive line coach by trade originally and yep. uh, not being solid there. I know Rocket Sanders' availability or lack thereof has hurt you know, their run game, but I, I think the thing that bothers me has when I go back and watch the tape, this was supposed to be a better defense, better against the pass. They were yeah. awful against uh, your LSU Tigers, man. In, in, way, in terms of busting coverages, letting guys get behind them, it was a, a litany of big plays that uh, LSU was able to take advantage of in the passing game. Um, and I, I don't know that you can, I don't know you can fix that. And, and yeah. I think it's just who they've become the last two years. And you know who's coming to town? Well, probably the best group of wide receivers in the entire conference is coming to town with a quarterback that's shown he can get the ball to those guys. I just, I, I think it's a bad time for Arkansas to be catching Texas A&M. Yeah. And I think it's a bad matchup for Arkansas where their deficiencies are, what the strength of, of Texas A&M is. Yeah. I don't love the matchup. We could certainly argue the, the best group of receivers in the sec. We don't have time to do that here today, but they certainly have a quality group to your point. I'm not going to take that from Texas A&M. They have a very quality group of receivers and certainly when they play their best, they can be up there with the best in the sec and they have a veteran quarterback in Max Johnson. You and I have talked about a couple of different times today on different shows. Yeah. I mean, that is a luxury to have a backup like that because Connor Wigman was playing great. He was like not in the Auburn game, but he was playing great this year. And he was a big reason why they looked much better offensively. Well, you get a Max Johnson in, he plays incredible last week against Auburn. And I think Arkansas really emptied the chamber last week against LSU. I, I don't know, CD, that they have the juice. I don't think they have the ability to have another performance. And I know this this game is always weird. It just always is. Like, yeah. regardless of who's good, who's bad, like I mean, the fumble at the goal line, you know, KJ Jefferson goes the other way for a score. I mean, we've had like 30 of those plays in this matchup. So who knows? There could be some chaotic energy there in Jerry's world. But I just can't imagine Arkansas can have the juice that they showed last week in Death Valley for two weeks in a row. 
I'm with you on that one. And and uh, the great part about having Max Johnson, you know, there on your roster and able to take over, you don't really have to change what you're doing offensively. Like they, the, 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 the playbook is, is the same as it was for Connor Wegman. And, and yep. I think that gives you some continuity with the rest of the guys on that offense. All right, big Terp, where are we going next? Uh, we're going three 30 on CBS, Georgia, Auburn. When this one opened, I, we were talking about like, wow, 14 and a half. I'm surprised yeah. it's not more. I saw a tweet earlier today that kind of put it in perspective where somebody said Georgia opens as only a 14 and a half point favorite. And their first reply was we're on the road at Auburn and we're complaining that it's 14 and a half. Like this is truly <laughs> the golden age of Georgia football, which is true. Yes, but it is. 14 and a half for the dogs going into Jordan hair. How do you think this one goes? Does Auburn put up? a fight and make this a game or is this like a it's a 330 kick by four o'clock we don't need to watch this anymore i was surprised this was the 330 kick i'm gonna be honest with you i thought old miss and lsu would be the 330 kick they're not now i know this is the south's oldest rivalry and i realize that that is a thing and you know some of these games we don't know that we're going to get them every single year and so this one is important but the team i saw last week play against texas a&m Georgia, they haven't had a chance to impress yet, right? The The most impressive thing they've done is a second half against South Carolina after that epic halftime speech that Kirby Smart had, mm-hmm. but they hadn't really had the chance to. Now, they did in that scenario. They're not going to really have that chance again. Auburn right now, offensively, they're not there. They're not even close to being there. Defensively, there's some nice things. There's some building blocks. And offensively, we know Hugh Freeze. We know his resume and what's you know, his identity as a head coach at scoring points. I think they'll get there eventually. Your quarterback got there basically in June, right? And so there's still some things that you can tell they are not shored up on. They're not going to do it against Georgia. I don't see this CD being a ball game. I think this one's not in question. Yeah. I think you go into halftime. It might be a low scoring 17 to three, 17 to nothing game, but Georgia is always in full control of this one. Yes. I mean, this offense for, for Auburn didn't even get into the red zone last week, let alone score a touchdown. And, and this is arguably a, a much better defense in yeah. Georgia brings to town than, than what you played in Texas A&M. So um, what you saw post game from Hugh Freeze is a sign of a man that knows it's going to be a long year. It's yeah. a long year with you being as much of an offensive minded head coach and having to be limited by what your quarterback room looks like and what your wide receiver room looks like he's been vocal about it in the preseason and uh, you saw what happens when you have the limitations that they do at those two positions uh rather pedestrian offensive output and and i expect uh georgia to to suffocate auburn much like what texas a&m did all right, Big Turf, that's the CBS 330 kick. A lot of times, like, that's the game. That's the game that we spend the most time on. I don't think either one of us expects that to be a contest. And so where are we at now? Uh, we are at 4 o'clock on SEC Network, and this is Missouri Vanderbilt. And the question here is just let down spot or no for Missouri. All right, I, I was a little, not... a little surprised. I was a little surprised Big Turf, you threw Missouri Vandy in there. Well, I, was a little, I, was, I, was, I was a little surprised you threw Missouri Vandy in there. The first week of a full slate. We're going to we're pregame in the SEC here, man. I know. I, just, I know. I know. I I know. I'm almost proud of you, but I'm a little, I'm a little surprised. Good for you. No, I, when you get a 4-0 Missouri, we're going to talk about them. I don't want five <laughs> or ten minutes even. I just want a will Missouri take care of business and do what they need to do in Nashville on a 4 p.m. kick. 
Look, and I'll do this one pretty quick. I mean, they were earlier a team that I talked about in last call from week number four. That was a big step for them. I don't think they have a falter here. I think, in fact, they win this game. They win it running away because last week showed me this team is growing. They can handle success. Last year, they kind of showed they could handle failure. The game they lost to Auburn, there's no way they should have lost that game. You play it 10 times over in the end is always in Missouri's favor, but they lost that game. And then they came back and played Georgia like they did a year ago. But now on the other side, you can handle success, Missouri. And I love Clark Lee and Vandy. Y'all know that. Neck roll, low man wins, grit, the whole deal. Vandy's not very good right now. They're struggling. Missouri capitalizes on that. They win the game. Yeah, the most surprising part about this Vanderbilt team are two things. One, as well coached as they are, the attention to details that's emphasized from Clark Lee to see them commit as many mistakes as they've been committing, going back to the Wake Forest game, turning the ball over three times, turning it over four times, and the loss out there at UNLV, turning it over uh, again another three times against Kentucky. Uh, it just doesn't seem like that's the kind of ball that you expect from, from Vanderbilt or from Clark Lee's team. The other thing that's surprising to me is the play of A.J. Swan. Like We were excited about yeah. what he did in year one last year. Elite 11 quarterback coming out kind of took over the job from Mike Wright. Remember Kim Ken Seal yeah. still on that roster too, but uh was a guy that that um felt like had a lot of a lot of hope for, especially with the group of wide receivers that was largely undervalued. We knew the yeah. name Will Shepard, but you know McGowan's been a guy that's played well. Uh Humphreys has played well this year. So they they have the pieces, but they've just not been able to get out of their own yeah. way. And I don't expect them to be able to fix that uh on Saturday against Missouri either. And Missouri, like Missouri needs, by the way, Missouri like needs to show, okay, this game for us, we have gotten to a level where you can trust us in a game yeah. like this. And again, I'm trusting you. Don't let me down, Eli Drinkwitz. All right. No offense to either of those programs with this metaphor, but you ate your vegetables with that game. Now you get to actually, you know, feast on LSU. Hey, I love some good it's carrots. Fair. I love some I good mean, potatoes, but I also love a good rump roast. There you go. And that's Ole Miss LSU. And you do not need to be a Jacob Hester LSU fan to say that this is the game of the week. In Oxford, 6 p.m. on ESPN, Ole Miss right now, two or LSU, two and a half point favorite. Yeah. I mean, what are you thinking? LSU I'll, on the road. How you feeling, Hess? I'll, I'll also no, we'll save the LSU guy. I'm gonna hit it real quick. Yeah. I, I right. just I think um the thing that I go back to is the offensive line issues that Ole Miss has, has had this year. They haven't been able to run the football. This is a team whose offense is based upon the ability to run the football. Uh, you, you look at what um, these running backs have, have been limited to. I'm frustrated for Quinshawn Judkins. I mean, he, he's a guy that ran for 1,500 yards last year that I don't think has over 40 yards in a game this year, and that's not because he's not ready to go or a good player or anything else. It's the offensive line just hadn't been able to open up holes for him. And we saw we talked about what Alabama, uh, their front seven, was able to do and uh, on the line of scrimmage. I yeah. think LSU, I think they do kind of the same thing here in this one and just choke out the life from uh, from the run game. And if you don't have anybody that can stretch the field like they were missing against Alabama, it's going to be a it's going to be tough sledding for, for that offense. LSU's got to be more sound defensively. When you look at the big plays Arkansas had, it was because a guy was trying to do somebody else's job. And Brian Kelly's talked about it all week long. You have a responsibility in coverage. You don't leave that responsibility to try to cover up for somebody else. You have to take care of your responsibility. And when you watch the game initially and you're there, you're like, man, they got beat again. They got beat again. It's because 
right? KJ Jefferson, really hard to get down. And LSU was all around him. Yeah. He got away from the rush and you didn't stay true to your scramble responsibilities or even your coverage responsibility. They hit you three times for big plays because of that. They got to clean that up because I think Jackson Dart, Lane Kiffin, that Ole Miss offense will do an even better job than Arkansas did at exposing that. So you got to be careful if you're LSU. I do agree with you. They have the advantage defensive line versus offensive line. One of the big pluses for LSU has been West Virginia transfer Jordan Jefferson. Not that Jordan Jefferson, LSU fans, but the defensive tackle version of Jordan Jefferson. He is right now the eighth highest graded defensive tackle in the Power Five, according to Pro Football Focus. And that's with Makai Wingo, who was the highest graded a year ago, and then Mason Smith, who's coming back from injury. And in fact, Jordan Jefferson's probably played better than Mason Smith. Right. So he's found his way back into the rotation. His plays have actually gone up every game. He'll be crucial in this game. Whit Weeks, a true freshman who has started two weeks in a row, middle linebacker, will be crucial in this game. I think you get Omar Spates back for LSU. So they're getting some of that help back defensively. So you have some advantages, but you can't have the missed assignments. You can't have the blown coverages. Ole Miss will feast on you if you do that. Because I think Jackson Dart sometimes when he's you know, kind of playing that backyard football uh, football style, I actually think that's really good for him at times. I think he actually thrives sometimes in that situation. So yeah. they have to control that if they want to win this game because, like, this matchup for LSU, it's going to be a tough one. It is not going to be easy. And I think where I'm going to set the difference between the two teams is on both lines of scrimmage. I think because of that, LSU does have the advantage there. Maybe that's why you would give LSU, as Big Turk mentioned, being a favorite in this game. But, man, it feels like another quarterback game. Jackson Dart versus Jaden Daniels. Which one makes the plays? Which receiver group do you feel good about? Ole Miss getting healthy, potential. LSU the last couple of weeks has shown they have two of the better ones in the SEC. So I can't wait to watch this play out offensively because, as we all know, that's where it really matters. Yeah, it'd be nice to see Trey Harris be healthy. They certainly missed him. He was out there against Alabama but was limited with that uh, knee injury he had suffered. Uh, And then – Getting Zakari Franklin, a guy we've heard an awful lot about in the offseason, transferring over from UTSA, uh, able to play last week, didn't do much. But uh, those two guys, I think, can have a big impact if they're healthy and, and able to be um, woven into the, the game plan a little bit more. Let me ask you this, CD. We're talking about all these games. Which team has the most to gain and which one has the most to lose in week number five? I mean, I think uh, Georgia probably has the most to lose. I mean, if you go on the road and, and yeah, I, I guess I should say realistically because I I just don't I just don't think Auburn's going to be competitive in that game. It's just a bad matchup yeah. for them. Like, think about the matchup last week against A and M, and I think you said it earlier. Like, Georgia's kind of that matchup, but obviously up a notch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it feels like it feels like the game in Lexington like can answer all that question. Well, that's like a the good most point, to gain and the most to lose. Yeah, I mean the, those those two teams are vying to kind of be right behind Georgia in the East. Yeah. And um, certainly, you know, Kentucky, I felt like they let a season of real opt- uh, opportunity get away from them last year. And to be back in this position right now, four and oh, albeit against kind of lesser opponents. Um, this is a big measuring stick for them. If they can, they can win, you know, in this series for the third year in a row, uh, that, that that's a statement as, as Florida's trying to ascend back to their normal, presence in the east uh kentucky could kind of put their foot on on florida's head and push them back down a bit all right big turp we talked about the game of the week what else we got left on the slate 
Well, now. we've talked about a lot of great games. You know what the highest ticket price of the week is? Oh, I love this. You know me. I love playing What's the Ticket? <laughs> South Carolina, Tennessee. Is it really? Yeah. Hey, it's 167 funny. bucks right now is what I'm seeing. The cheapest they get in. Is yeah. that right? 167 on stuff oh. up is the cheapest get in price, but it's it's night. It's Knoxville. It's the uh, dark is, mode unis, too. You see the. Uh, yeah. Is Tennessee 11 and a half points better? No. No. That's my question. No. But, but then why? Because Vegas is smarter than us. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Best Bets has showed us that they're yeah. way smarter than us. Uh, hey, we're on the uptrend, though. We're, we're, we're yeah, we are. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get yeah, to we that. We are we're trending not leaving here in the right direction. Uh, you're damn right we're not. Um, I don't know. I, I can't get you there. Now, as we've said about South Carolina and Shane Beamer's one of my favorite humans on this planet, like there's peaks and valleys to this team and the peaks, as we said last week, they do be peaking. And sometimes those valleys do as well, unfortunately, but South Carolina last year in this game, I mean, they brought the fight to Tennessee. That was maybe the most impressive offensive performance we had in the country last year, just singular game, like offensive game plan and how they executed it. Okay. Now Tennessee remembers that, but I, I know that's different Jimmy's and Joe's, but that's the same quarterback back there for the Gamecocks and Tennessee doesn't have the same guys on defense. And so, man, I, I don't know. Like I, I see it right now at 12, even if it's 11 and a half, like South Carolina to me has advantages in this game CD. Yeah. I think especially watching them improve the the way that they blocked up front in the run game. Um, Mario Anderson kind of had a, a breakout performance. Uh, Spencer Rattler helped himself with some, some rushing yards as well, but they've been desperately looking for something to take the pressure off of, yeah. of the passing game and having it all fall on Spencer Rattler's shoulders. I think they may have found something up front with the, the mix of, of the, the, the linemen, the way they, they played them the, yeah. with the running back that they inserted in there and the usage of the quarterback in the run game. So I, I, I feel better about that. I still just haven't seen Tennessee put it all together and, and yeah. maybe that's just who they're going to be this year. But I know that they're very motivated after being embarrassed last year and, and, and taken right out of the college football playoff conversation. Yeah. But I, I, I just don't know if they can have the ability to click the, flip the switch and and until they do it i'm going to be skeptical that's way too many points to be giving me for a team that's been as inconsistent as yeah. what tennessee's been i mean i i give south carolina the quarterback matchup without question wouldn't you yeah for sure yeah i for mean sure. and they've had the biggest playmaker we've already talked about him in this matchup so yeah i mean that's a lot that's i mean you're talking two touchdowns basically yeah. i mean right now i don't know where it settles it's probably going to settle somewhere at 11 and a half 12 points but either way you're talking about two scores yeah I'm, I'm going to take a long look at that when we start talking best bets maybe for south carolina it's not even to say tennessee can't win the game or even yeah. will win the game but we're talking about 12 points that's a big big number with all the things that south carolina has and the ability that they do have and so that that one feels like a big one too you're talking about backs against the wall south carolina already has a loss in the sec we know tennessee does as well that's one both these teams really, really need this one as well. I've heard a lot of Tennessee fans that have talked about how nervous they are about this game, and maybe it's a yeah. little PTSD from last year's upset. But, like, I don't know, man. It, I've, I haven't heard a whole lot of Tennessee fans historically being all that nervous about a South Carolina team yeah. coming to kneeling. So it uh, yeah. makes it a little more interesting. 
All right, Big Turp, I know we've got one more on the slate. And that is I know Alabama. we have one more. There's going to be a lot of uh, cowbell in the matchup that we have to end yeah. the pre-gaming portion of the show here. Well, for some reason, my brain was telling me that it gets weird when Alabama goes to Starkville and they keep it close. That's just not true recently. Not it's factual, good. like literally whatsoever. No, 49 to 9 <laughs> last time, 38 to 7 before that. Of yeah. the last four matchups, the closest was last year, 30 to 6. Obviously, Bama is not those Bama teams, but they took a good step last week. Do you think this is one of those types of games, or does Mississippi State keep this close at home as a 14-and-a-half-point dog? Yeah. Uh, look, Mississippi State is somebody that is transitioning to a new identity, and they do not know that identity yet. Now they know where they want to get to. They know what they want the identity to be, but they're not there yet. It was better. It was better last week against South Carolina – but I can't get that LSU game out of my mind. I mean, LSU yeah. was obviously like when you start looking at individual matchups, they were the better team, but there was never an opportunity for Mississippi State to be successful in that game, right? Because when you don't have the same caliber athlete, you got to create mismatches with your scheme. But they didn't do that. They weren't even close with that. In fact, I mean, it was almost to a point where you felt bad for Will Rogers. I know yeah. I did. I'm sitting there watching like, man, this is the guy that's about to set every SEC record. He can't complete a pass right now. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out like where they want to get to. It, it, it's just tough. That's so tough to do. You go from an air raid and Mississippi State fans, a lot of them, not all of them, just hand waved us in the offseason when we're talking about this. I'm like, look, guys, it's just a transition. It's very just like if if LSU went out played said, you know what? The hell with it. Let's go air raid. We would have been bad. We wouldn't yeah. have been a good team. And we had yeah. good players. You just don't overnight do that. There's growing pains, and they're still going through that growth. And they're going to continue to have those pains, certainly in a matchup where they don't have, you know, even an individual matchup that they feel good about because you're playing an Alabama. So, man, as much as I like Zach Arnett and I want them to be successful, maybe they are down the road. But right now in this growth period, you're not going to go out there and make enough plays to beat an Alabama. Yeah, I, I don't know. They have the ability to to hit as many of those pass plays that they did yeah. against uh South Carolina. South Carolina secondary played really poorly um on some of those throws and, and just their overall pass defense it was not very sound. Alabama will be better. But the problem I had surprisingly yeah. has was on the defense. Like you know Zach Arnett made that defense last year, last couple of years in Starkville one of the best in the conference. They were bad in terms of executing their assignments. They were yeah. bad in in their 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 run uh, fits. They were bad in their rush integrity. They didn't do a very good job of setting the edge. Time and time again, you saw Spencer Rattler able to to break outside to the right. Yeah, uh, you saw some you know some some big gains on some poorly played zone read stuff. So I just uh, I. It, it, what Spencer Rattler did, he's a good athlete with his legs. Jalen Milrose yeah. is a lot. Jalen Milrow is a lot better with his legs. And if they right. don't shore it up, there's going to be a lot of, of, of yards gained on the ground by Jalen Milrow himself. And I think the game plan, what Alabama did in the second half against Ole Miss is who they're going to be going forward. They figured out, yeah. you know, kind of the identity they're better in the run game, you know, let those guys, uh, let those guys eat up front and, uh, and lean on, on Milrow and the running backs a little bit more to, to, to give you that yardage that you, you haven't been able to get consistently through the air. All right, that is the pregame portion of the show. And last week, I tried to get out of here before we even mentioned take it to the bank because, whew, I mean, look, your boy was over. He was over, yeah. but, you know, I fell just short of my prediction. I guaranteed a 3-0 and week, and the game that I lost, I actually felt 
the best about, but it's okay. Big Terp, how did we do last weekend? You did two and one. So did Doring. And both of you got got on that uh, Ole Miss-Alabama game. Yeah. We both started 2-0 and in that early window. Yeah. And then Hess uh, laid the seven. And then CD, you went with the over. Yeah. So the ones that CD hit, Kentucky-Vandy over 50, two pick sixes will help that. But I think yes. it clears without the pick sixes. Um, and then AM minus nine, cash it. But the yeah. Alabama Ole Miss over 56, no bueno. And then Hess, the under king, is back. Uh, Texas A&M, Auburn under 51. Also the over king. You hit the Kentucky yeah. band. Yeah, I'm versatile. If you, if you are both hopping on the Kentucky <laughs> Vandy uh, over, I hopped on as well. So make yes. that three. Um, and then Ole Miss plus seven came up short. But a four and two week combined is nice not writing zero at the beginning of Hester's record. is going to be really nice this week. But CD, yes. low key, back to six and six on the year. Yeah. Big Turk, what was I last week? Was I was I two and one last week or three? Three and oh, three and oh, oh, right? He's on a five and one heater. Yeah, five and one in the last six. So I'm feeling pretty good All about right. that, Hess. All right. Look, I'm just glad to be in the win column. I'm glad to be on the board. I'm glad to be a part of the uh, the best best portion of taking to the bank. Glad to be here. It only took me five weeks, but I'm glad now to be I can here. Add the uh, the little part <laughs> that I did last year, the last week rank, the last week standings. So I'll, oh. I'll have a full record and I'll have the last week record. Uh, yeah, you couldn't have a last week because when you're over, it's just over. It's just there's no need to waste your time or energy or anybody else's time or energy reading that. So yeah, that's where we're at. Um, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of pre gaming DSCC. There's an opportunity, boys, that we're doing this next week. And we might now Texas, Oklahoma, I realize that that's a big one, but maybe another pregame show picks that one up college game day in Como. Maybe if Mizzou and LSU both win, I don't know, but I know it's going to be another great slate of SEC games. That's going to do it for us here today. Make sure big Terp, they can find us on all social media at pregaming the SEC. Correct. That is the handle. Also, search us up on YouTube at Pregaming the SEC right there. Subscribe, like, do the whole deal. You already know at this point. Yes, we, or open up the SXM app and search Pregaming the SEC. There you go. I mean, the fact that we can get that done right now is pretty damn cool. We're excited, by the way, to be here on SEC Radio Sirius XM Channel 374. It's been too long since I've had a chance to say Channel 374, so we are glad to be here as well a lot of ways to take in this sec content we will see you same time same place next week for pre-gaming the sec